The sky framed a magnificent view of the lustrous moon. The gentle breeze whistled softly, a tune for the night of June. Cheerful cries and playful giggles relieved the air of the grave silence of noon. If the birds do not sing tonight, father's flute will know no end to every music note. Even the baby danced to the rhythm of mother's rock as she joked. Fireflies shine light and imagination to grandmother's ode. If the kerosene does not give mother's lantern its light, the earth will not turn under the feet of the children's playful delight. To be young, naive and jolly is all we'd ever thought we'd be this night. Story story, there is a ripple effect. The tale of the lion and the tortoise started Amorphos. Although tonight's tale will prove fanciful in the future, our hearts sway merrily to the tale's chorus. There will be no Ojuju here tonight. Only the ones we create in our minds may fashion any threat against us. However benign the story seems, its lessons will be saved by this small caucus. For now, we will do what we know best. Be children, tightly woven into this community that has shielded us from all societal unrest. Arrested to a longing for mother's love trickling from our breasts and learning discipline from a father whose morals we have learned to acquiesce. I am your host, Wale. Today's episode is about a young boy named Malik. And here I will share some of the earliest frustrations he experienced as a child, the unique witness of his age and his earliest experiences that will influence his formative years into becoming a man. Welcome to Now You're Here. Children are awfully fascinating. Their curiosity, desires, wants and how they deal with rejection. The entirety of it is truly remarkable. Even after strict instruction, some wild fascination struggling to be tamed is already budding in their minds. It is like a virus spreading through their bones and running deep into their core. It births a longing of its own. Instruction is a reminder, or time an eraser. Recently, little Malik, who has just turned seven a few months ago, has been deemed smart enough to run errands in the neighborhood and is often sent on errands by his mother and secretly too by co-tenants who shared the household with his family for a reward of some sweets, biscuits, those sort of things. This evening, he is instructed by his mother to buy some spices from Mama Pisi, their neighbor, whose shop is located just a few blocks down their street. It is a familiar exercise. Albeit painful, his mother hopes that soon it will yield the fruit of Malik becoming dependable. To help him accomplish this simple task, she teaches him to recite the instructions like a poem. I know, right? But what can a child do? His attention span is as fickle as the weather. One moment he is reciting his instructions, and the next he is chasing a mosquito which buzzed past his ear. 
Once he's sure he has learned the instructions, he dashes out. On the way, he encounters his friend Emeka. Emeka shows off his primitive ride, made simply of a tire and a stick for his steering. Malik's attention is immediately arrested. He begs Emeka to drive him to his destination. Emeka agrees and beckons him to hop on by holding onto his shirt. He kicks the tire into a spin. Then both their legs do the mechanical work. On arrival, his instruction has lost its tune and he can no longer remember the lyrics to his precious song. He knows that what comes next is nothing but bitter tears. Poor Malik only wants to be happy, so he tries hard to remember the lyrics of his song. But what plays in his head, as you may have guessed, are the buzzing sound of the mosquito and the imitation of an accelerating car his friend made as they chased the tire. He begins to sweat. Putting his hands on his head, he lets out a loud cry, which is immediately followed by the first batch of tears, with more sure to follow soon. Under his breath, he curses his friend, and swears that the next time he sees him, he would hurl stones at him for being an untimely distraction. Malik needs some motivation. The fear of his mother's slippers will prove like other times to be the beginning of his wisdom. Malik paces in circles, out of sight from his neighbor's shop, desperately thinking of an escape plan. And he gets one. He wipes his tears, takes a deep breath and walks to the shop. He tells Mama Bisi that his mother has requested from her the list of ingredients she bought from her the last time. If this plan works, he will acknowledge himself as a genius. But if he doesn't, well, you already know. The shopkeeper retorts that she has no idea what he is talking about, and she returns to his mother to obtain the list of the items she needs. The poor boy turns away dejected. Perhaps he cannot escape the beating that awaits him. This is not the first time he has proved forgetful. But just then, Another idea creeps in his mind. He would return to his mother and tell her she does not have what she needs and he might just get off the hook. But luck is not on his side. She directs him to the next shop right next to Mama Bisi to get the much needed ingredients. She does not repeat what they are. The poor boy, deeply saddened, turns around slowly without the outburst of energy he had shown before. His mother knows her son too well. She observes his gait and calls him back, asking that he repeat the instruction she gave him just moments ago. Malik stares blankly. The message is clear. She is frustrated, but she is not willing to spend her energy on spanking him. His father will be home soon, and with him is likely a voracious appetite. He is running out of time. In annoyance and threatening, she reminds him of her instructions. And just then, like a lead bulb, Malik remembers before she could finish. Grateful that he doesn't get treated with the slippers, he meticulously recites the instructions over and over again as he runs off, afraid he might forget them. Determined not to let that happen, he turns a deaf ear to all and any who call out his name. 
charged with this adrenaline, he arrives within seconds at the shop. The shopkeeper is Mama Chukudi, and also the mother to Emeka, his friend. Panting, he blurts out instructions. The woman stares at him and is puzzled by what spirit may have possessed the little boy. She asks him to repeat the instructions, but slowly this time. Soon, Malik's mother has what she needs and carries on with preparing dinner. Malik is allowed to play with his friends. Everything returns to normal, or so he thought. Even though it has been an hour since Malik's close shave with his mother's slippers, time will erase the peace that has saturated the air and would need him to shed more tears. The flames of the stove burned low and another need arises. She calls out his name again and again, but he is out of earshot. The cooking stove is deplete of kerosene. And even though she knew that the fuel was running low, she miscalculated that what was left would be just enough to satisfy their needs tonight. But now she needs more fuel to finish up her cooking. Although she would prefer to get them from the petrol station, the journey to and fro is a time waster. And for the amount she needs, it seemed sensible to get them in the neighborhood, even though she knew the price was slightly hiked. She has no other choice. She gets up from the kitchen stool, grabs the empty keg of kerosene, but she is not prepared for the conversation that ensues. Mabisi refused to sell her some kerosene, which is clearly visible in its see-through keg marked kerosene in capital letters, located beneath the shelf where she placed her merchandise. She denies the availability and remarked rudely that she could walk down the next few shops or visit Mama Chukudi to get them, since she would rather get her needs from her than herself. Malik's mother is confused. She does not understand what would spark this kind of reaction for simply wanting to obtain an item from her shop. Further argument will later show that this pettiness was as a result of Malik not returning to buy the ingredients she needed earlier from her. Or rather, he had run right past her and purchased them from the evil woman next to her shop. Mama Bisi then proceeds to call the Igbos derogatory names in her Yoruba native language for stealing her customers. Malik's father will not be having his dinner waiting for him on his return home this evening. Mama Chukudi, who is generally reputed by all to be a strong-willed woman and a hard worker, and tries even harder at getting along with everyone she meets, does not stay silent. She responds with alacrity. She understood every derogatory remark that was pronounced, and although she is not fluent in Yoruba, she knows how to respond to allegations, rude remarks, and insults. Her punchline hits home, pandemonium ensues, and passers-by stand still to enjoy the free entertainment. East fly between both shopkeepers. There is hair pulling, and some get uprooted. You know, the usual stuff. I won't tell you who is winning in this fight, but a few men try earnestly to separate them. But words are still being weaponized. 
it will be Malik's first formal education of the different tribes that exist in Nigeria and the stream of prejudice that flows among them. Word spread fast, and all the children leave their games to get a view of the action. The argument hinged on a false sense of loyalty rages on, but unfortunately for Malik's mother, he is not there to help vindicate her against the claim of choosing not to patronize her fellow kinsman. Malik's mother holds no prejudice against any tribe other than hers. As a matter of fact, she doesn't care about any of it. But she has been pulled into this current and feels that the only way to paddle through successfully is to make a defense. She asks an older child she recognizes in the crowd to send for her son. The child leaves, but reluctantly. She does not want to miss any part of a potential round two as the women try hard to tear each other off from those restraining them. The child does not have to walk long before she encounters a target. She delivers a message and pulls him through the crowd to the center of the action, securing a chance to be a first-hand witness to the commotion and then lets him go. Malik is immediately pinned to the center of the dispute. He is unjustly disciplined by his mother who desires to maintain a peaceful relationship with her neighbor and clear her name or smears his. Within a few minutes of being present, his ears are pulled and twisted. He is awarded an abara of dishonor on his back and some knocks are delivered on his head. The pain will release the final batch of tears from his eyes and trigger a silent explosion that can only be heard by Malik in his head. It is said that the mind of every child is like a sponge capable of absorbing anything and everything. But what many don't realize is that before they learn to hate, they have already loved. However, tonight's incident will cause him to ask his first intelligent questions about life. Especially the ones that may have been chosen for him to live by without first gaining his consent. The one is held as called destiny. Finally, his rescue comes. A familiar and unmistakable sound of a rickety motorbike, popularly known as Okada, pierced the air. His father returns. He is exhausted and is in no mood for settling petty disputes. But he doesn't need to. His baritone voice demands to know what is going on. But that in itself is a rhetorical question. The crowd murmur as they disperse. No eyewitnesses volunteer to make any statement and everything goes quiet. The policeman, or Ogaolokwa, as is popularly known, is home. Several minutes pass and after he has had his bath and dinner, he has the mat spread out on the floor and he lays down bare-chested in the open enjoying the soft breeze. Malik, his father's favorite and only child, who has been sitting sober on the pavement, gets invited over to join him on the mat. The familiar masculine scent sets the boy at ease. 
Then he asks him about the Igbos, if he thinks they are bad people. He asks about how he and his family came to be Yorubas and others a different tribe. His father is puzzled at these questions, but tries his best to answer him in a way an eight-year-old would understand, unaware that this very moment would forever be impressed in his mind and would shape his perspective on how he views the world. He answers simply that no matter the difference in language or ethnicity, we are all human beings, and that is what really matters. Well, if that is so, why did he get punished? His father sits up, looking at him, disappointed by what he had just heard. Malik is at a loss as to what to expect, but his father apologizes for his mistreatment and promises to speak to his mother concerning this. That night, a father and son bond is born. The night is only about reaching its final conclusion, and Abichal drunkard returns home. He is popular but lacks prestige, and is rated less than a man in the community. He is irritated by the world, and the world irritates him in return. Tomorrow, he will be sober, and will beg his wife not to live with her sons. But tonight, he must execute what he has been emboldened to do. Until she turns pulp, until all strength leave her body, his fists will keep delivering his punches. The entire household, including Mama Chukudi, share a collective humanity and bang at the door, pleading that he desists from hitting his wife. But not until breaking and entering will the pounding cease. Soon, Malik will come to accept that the same evils his king's men detest exist among them. The societal unrest is right at his door. Although Malik is still a child, he must grow up quickly. That night, he will swear never to raise his hand against the woman as he presents his mother a bowl of warm water and a towel to tend to Mama Bisi's wounds. For Mama Bisi's husband, the proverbial saying proves true. The dog that will go astray we will never heed the hunter's calling. And unfortunately for Mamabisi's sons, tonight's incident stirs a ripple effect. This is the moral they have learned from their father. Thank you for listening to my first podcast episode. This story was written, edited, narrated, and produced by myself, Olawale Shobule. The theme music was by Pixabay and edited by myself. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, kindly show your support by subscribing to Now You Are Here on Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast. Tell a friend to tell a friend and see you on the next episode.